Hello, and welcome to the Sapona Road Church Podcast. Today is a great day. It's the day that the Lord has made, and we are excited that you've taken time to join with us as we hear from God's Word. We exist as a church to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope that today's message encourages and blesses you and helps you to grow and mature in your walk and relationship with Him. The Word of the Lord is powerful and life-changing, so let's see our lives transformed as we listen to today's message. For those of you who don't know, I have the honor of speaking with you guys today, the message that the Lord has just kind of placed on my heart. So we're going to start, if you have your Bibles, with Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. It says, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds, which are in the mountains. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joaz the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Father God, we thank you once again. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your sweet spirit. God, thank you for what it is you want to pour out on me, on your people. God, and I pray that as your word goes forth, that nothing would come from me that isn't your will, God. That it would all be your will, humbly, lovingly spoken, Lord, and that we would have eyes and ears to receive what it is you want us to receive, God, and that we would be changed forevermore. God, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning... I want to talk with you guys about kind of the story of Gideon and a couple weeks ago when Aaron, or about a month or two ago, whenever Aaron told me I was going to speak, I kind of started dwelling into what is out there, what is it that the Lord would have me say, because it's been a while since I've spoken, Um, and I kind of settled on this topic, and this was actually written out a couple weeks ago, and if you know me, which some of you don't, it is very odd for me to have something written out a few weeks in advance. I am a very well procrastinator. A lot of years of experience on it, but I've kind of listened to a couple of different people and what they have gathered from the story of Gideon, and so some of it has been from other people that was just really good, and I wanted to share it with you guys, and I'll discuss with you that a little bit further, but we'll start with what we learn first. 
In Genesis 17, we are introduced with Abram, and God changes Abram's identity, and he says, you're no longer going to be called Abram, but Abraham. And we know Abraham. We sing songs about him. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. And so he tells them, hey, you're, you're Abraham now, and these people, they're going to be mine. He's going to make them his people. He's like, these are my people, and I will be their God, and they establish this covenant. And we know it as this like physically demonstrated covenant. It's the covenant of circumcision, but the circumcision was just the physical sign for the actual covenant, which was a heart change. They are now to be God's people. They're supposed to live and think and behave like children of God. They're supposed to be set apart from those around them. And for some time, they do. For some time, they are God's people and they're doing what he calls them to do. But you'll notice there's this repetitive cycle of Israel's behavior in the Old Testament. And I, this is one of the things that I've taken from someone else, but I really liked how he worded it, and it was really easy, so I wanted to share it with you guys. But this pattern is as easy as A, B, C, D, E. So you have the children of Israel, and they're doing what the Lord tells them to do, and they're God's people. And then all of a sudden, we hit A, and they commit this act of apostasy. They turn away from what they previously believed in, from what they had faith in, and they pursue other things. They make idols for themselves. And what happens when they make idols is they find themselves in B, in bondage to whatever it was that they pursued, whatever it was they turned from the Lord to pursue after. And no one wants to be in bondage. So then we find C, they cry out to the Lord. They need help. They need the Lord to come save them. And God, being the great God that he is, he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He does what? He de He delivers them because that's who he is. He's our deliverer. And so they've been delivered out of bondage, and we find this time of, e, of ease. And they're now God's people again. And then we see this cycle over and over again, even just reading the story of Gideon from when we're first introduced to Gideon in the beginning of chapter 6, the, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. And then we see this whole process come through, and then Gideon dies, and like as soon as he dies, they did evil again. And I was like, are you kidding me? Just as I was reading this, I was so frustrated. I was like, you have not figured it out yet. And as I was getting frustrated and annoyed with them, I felt the conviction of, but you're the same way. And I was like, ooh, because just the numerous times that I read this, just in the few stories that you'll read in the Old Testament or throughout the Bible, that's not the whole lifespan of the world. That's not all of our stories added into it, but we do the same thing. We find ourselves in these cycles of we're so on fire for the Lord, and then something comes along and it distracts us, and we pursue it, and we fall into it, and we need the Lord to deliver us from it so that we can be his people set, set apart and on fire for him. And so I was annoyed and I was frustrated and I'm like, why haven't you gotten this together? Like, come on now, because I'm reading it and I'm like, you haven't learned, but we're not that much different. And so we start back in verse one. This is how Israel is. It says, then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds, which are up in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up. Also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents coming in as numerous as locusts, both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So we're at A. 
they are committing apostasy. They did evil. And it says that the Lord handed them over. It wasn't that the Midianites were just oh so powerful and they were able to conquer the Lord and his protection on Israel. It says that the Israelites did evil and the Lord gave them over to the Midianites. Because God is a gentleman and he will not force you to be in a relationship with him. He has the right to do so. He has the power to do so. He created us and he loves us and he wants to be in relationship with us, but he won't make you be in a relationship with him because he wants a people that love him and that pursue him and that want him back, that want him willingly. That's why we have that right to choose because he wants us to want him back. And so God will allow us to pursue other gods which are not gods if that's what we're after. He'll let you do it. But I know from experience and from watching other people that he is still actively pursuing you. And he is doing everything he can to pull you back into that loving relationship with them because he knows what's best for you. And he wants you and he loves you. And so Israel's now in the hand of the Midianites and they're in bondage and they're hiding. And it says that they made for themselves the dens and the caves and the strongholds. And when I read that, I got stopped, like stopped for a second. Strongholds. It's not a terribly uncommon word. I've heard it before. I don't use it in my day-to-day vocabulary, but I got stopped because I was like, I've heard this word before. And you've heard it too in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 10, verse 4. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, for casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So we're obviously talking about two different kinds of strongholds. The Israelites made themselves physical strongholds. They have made themselves a physical place that has been fortified to protect against an attack from the Midianites. And in 2 Corinthians, it's talking about these spiritual, like mental strongholds, these habitual patterns that have been built into your thought life that typically hold you down. But I couldn't get past it. I was like, why was stronghold included? Why was this such an important word? And I can't help but make the connection that these Israelites are now physically in strongholds because of these mental strongholds that they have allowed in their lives. They mentally allowed things to hold them down and distract them and take them away from the Lord. So now they physically have to hide in a stronghold. But we weren't made to hide and to guard ourselves up. We were made to be more than conquerors through him who loves us. We're made to pull down these strongholds. But here Israel is And they're hiding because the Midianites have kind of taken everything and they have nothing. In verse 6, it says, So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And I like how the New Living Translation puts it. It says, So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord. It says they were starving. And I really like the topic of hunger and thirst in the Bible. But it's amazing what we'll do when we're hungry. It's amazing how the body will let you know when it's time to eat and how you get a little bit cranky when you haven't had it. Because food, is, it's how we operate. As much as some of us might not like it, some of us might like it a little too much, but food is the fuel. It's how we, our body gets all the nutrients, all the energy that we need so that you can live your life. And when you don't have it, it's amazing what you will put in your body to try to satisfy that need, to try to satisfy yourself, even if it's not what you need, even if it's not right for you to consume. And so they're hungry, and they cry out to the Lord, and it takes me back 
to probably one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And it's an odd one to have as one of your favorite passages in the Bible. But I've spoken on it before, so I'm a little loyal to it. But in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, again, we find the people of Israel have forsaken the Lord because this is the pattern that we're seeing here. And the Lord, almost like if you were in a court setting, he's like pleading his case against Israel. And he says in verse 13, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So our hunger and our thirst, it's important. What we hunger and what we thirst after, it's important because we're God's children and he is righteous and we're called to hunger and to thirst after righteousness and he's holy. So we're called to be holy. He says that they forsaken me water, the fountain of living water. And then they tried to make for themselves these things to hold water, which they've forsaken. And they can't even hold water because they're broken. They can't do it by themselves. You can't do it without the Lord. And it's amazing to me, the first couple of things that we'll learn about Jesus when we talk about him in the book of Matthew, is that one, he's born in Bethlehem, which we know means house of bread. And two, he's born in a feeding trough. And we can make that as pretty as we'd like if we sing away in a manger and make it look cute when we have a Christmas play, but it's a feeding trough, it's where you put food. And so he's born in the house of bread and he's born in a feeding trough. And I can't help but think the Lord might be trying to tell us something when we learn these things. And if we don't understand the symbolism in that, he flat out just says it in John 6, 35. He says, I'm the bread of life. And he who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. But Israel's hungry. Why? Because they forsook the Lord. They didn't pursue him. They didn't come to him. They left him. So now they're hungry spiritually and physically. So it says they cry out to the Lord. But nothing in there indicates that they were actually repentant. They were hungry. So they cried out. It wasn't that they had this big heart change. They were just hungry. And they knew the Lord being faithful. He would deliver them like he's done time and time again. You read it over and over in the Old Testament, even in the book of Judges. Before we get to Gideon's story, you see it four times. You've got Othniel and Ehud and Shamgar, who we learned like killed a bunch of people. All we get is like one or two sentences. And it's like he killed 600 people and saved Israel. And then Deborah, we've already gotten it four times, so they know they can call out to him. They know that he's dependable, that he's faithful. But this time's a little different. Going back to verse 7, it says, and it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, who said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So the Lord takes a second here and almost like rebukes them. He wants them to understand. He's like, I've been here. Like, look at all that I've already done for you. I've done this. I've been here. I've been faithful. I'm right here the whole time. They're the ones who didn't hold up their end of the covenant. They're the ones who turned their back. And you see this pattern of re-evangelism, if you will, in the Old Testament, when God wants to pull his people out of disobedience and back into a relationship with him, what does he do? He tells the story of the Exodus. 
you see it a lot, just like he does here. He's like, I brought you up from Egypt. I got you out of bondage. I delivered you. I gave you their land. He retells this story. And when I was first introduced to this word, re-evangelism, a couple years ago in one of the many books that I've started and have not finished, but it is what stuck with me in that book. But I think that it's important that we're practicing re-evangelism too. And I don't just mean telling your testimony to people around you. I think that is great and it is biblical and it is needed, but I don't just mean telling it to those around you. And I don't just mean that we're all producing the same few sentences of 2,000 years ago, the Lord saved us and died for our sins on the cross. That is great and that is the gospel and you need to declare that and know that and believe that. But the Lord also saved each and every one of us specifically and differently. We're all here differently. We all got into the relationship with the Lord differently because we've all been made differently. And so we should be rehearsing and reliving and re-enjoying that good news that the Lord has saved us, telling yourself what he has done for you. And that's going to be different for each of us. Because for me, the times that I've sat in the car and I've had to encourage myself and tell myself what the Lord has done for me, and I will go back to May 31st of 2014, and I will remember when I sat in my room on the floor and I was in tears and I was crying because it had been a terrible year for me and I felt like I had nobody, nobody in the family, no friends. I didn't even feel like I could go to the Lord, but here I was and I cried and I was like, Lord, I can't do this and I don't want to do it anymore. And if this isn't your plan for me, then I need you to let me know because I don't want to be here anymore. This is too hard. If this isn't your plan, I need you to let me know this. And I remember the next day standing over here at the end of our service. It was graduation Sunday, and we had a guest speaker who was also graduating with me. And I remember standing there and looking up, and we caught eyes. And if you've ever felt like that moment when the Holy Spirit hit you, and it was like, oh, snap. Because you knew that, like, the Lord was there for you, and he was coming for you. And I remember she stepped down, and she spoke these words of life over me. And I don't remember what it was, but I remember that the Lord saved me that day. And I had been saved and filled with the Holy Ghost years before, but I had this season of my life where I turned away from the Lord, and the enemy bogged me down with guilt and with shame, and I felt like I had nobody, and I hit that point when I was like, Lord, I can't do this, and I won't do it, but if this isn't your plan, I need you to let me know because I won't go further than this. And he came, and he intervened, and he rescued me, and he saved me from myself and from the enemy, and that's what I'll go back to when I have to re-evangelize to myself, when I have to tell myself what the Lord has done for me. It wasn't just that he made me and he formed me before my parents had ever met, and it wasn't just that he died for me 2,000 years ago, but it's that he keeps coming for me every day and every season. He keeps coming, and I can't get over it because I'm not worthy of it. And I fail him all the time, but he continues to come. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to tell ourselves, this is what the Lord has done. We'll sing a song all day long. Look what the Lord has done. But I need you to tell yourself and believe yourself. And when you get through the list of every big thing and every small thing where you can put your hand on and you can say, this was the Lord and the Lord intervened. And it was only by his grace that I got through it. When you can get through all of that, that he has done, then you can thank him for that ability just to recall all of that information because some people can't do that. There's so much that the Lord has blessed us with that we need to be reminded of and we need to thank him for. We've got to remind ourselves and don't let it just flow out of us so easily and just go off of us so lightly, the great mercy and the love that the Lord has for us. So he tells them the story of the Exodus. And then in verse 11, 
It says, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. It says, the angel of the Lord. And if you don't know in Hebrew, that will translate over to Melech Yahweh. Yahweh sounds very familiar to us, so it tells us this is not some ordinary angel. This is a God appearance a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ coming to meet somebody. This is the Lord stepping in. And typically when he comes, he's coming to an individual who needs to be reminded of who they are. Because it's not just important for that individual. If this, if this person could get it together, if they could figure out who they are and who God's called them to be, it will help them and it will help everyone around them. And so we find that he gets near this tree and it tells us we find Gideon and he's threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, I don't thresh wheat, and I don't drink wine, but I know you don't thresh wheat in a wine press. So threshing wheat will typically take place on like top of a hillside in this open air setting, because the purpose of it is that you would dislodge that nutrientless chaff out of the wheat, and then the wind, because you're in an open air setting, it will drive it away. That's why you read that phrase in the Old Testament a lot, the wind will drive the chaff away. And wine, a wine press is going to typically be the opposite of the open air setting. It's going to be in that deep compression at the base of a rock. But we've got Gideon hiding out in this wine press to thresh wheat. Why? Because he's scared. Because if the wind comes and blows the chaff away and the Midianites smell it, then they're going to know there's another harvest and they're going to come and they're going to take it away. So he's hiding. We find him and he is trying not to be found but the angel of the Lord comes and finds him. And I think that that is great news because we've got family members and friends and loved ones and coworkers, and they don't want to be found. They don't want the Lord to get a hold of them and they've kind of dug their heels in and they've refused the gospel and they've refused what it is that you want to pour out on them, but the Lord will find them. He knows where they're at. You can't hide from him. And it says in verse 12 that the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. So we don't know how much time, but some time passed between when the angel came on the scene, when he got near the tree, and then when he appeared to Gideon. And I think it lets us know that just because you might not be able to see the Lord does not mean that he's not there and he is not working on your behalf and he is not intervening. And it says that the angel of the Lord, the Malek Yahweh, if you will, he says two things. He says, the Lord is with you, and he says, you mighty man of valor. So the Lord is with you there. He is kind of identifying the Lord. He's saying that God is here. God is present. God is never changing. He is the same. He is faithful. He is here. He is with you. And then he calls him a mighty man of valor. And some translations might put it as a mighty hero or a mighty warrior. But in other words, he identified Gideon. And I don't know about you, but I haven't seen any qualifications that identify Gideon as some mighty warrior because he is hiding in a wine press right here. But God calls him that anyway. And it's because it doesn't matter what other people say about you. It doesn't matter how they identify you to some degree. It doesn't matter how you identify yourself. Because other people around you, they are not qualified to identify you or to name you. 
even your past and your circumstances, the trauma that you have had, it's, it's important and it helps make you who you are and it helps build up how you respond, how you take in situations, how you see them, how you view them. It's a big part of who you are, but even that doesn't have the authority to, to re-identify you versus who God has called you to be. Because I think it's important to understand that God made and identified each and every one of us from the start. And that it was very intentional. Every single one of us are here because he made us. None of us were here because God just had a little extra dirt and was like, let me just throw it together and make somebody. You were made intentionally. You've been made in the very image of God, as the Bible says. So every aspect of your physicality has been made in the image of God, has been made with a true design. Your hair color, your hair texture, your skin, how easily you put on weight, you take off weight. Your eye color, your eye shape, the shape of your toes, it is all so different. Every single one of us are so beautifully made and it's amazing the Lord has been not limited to like one or two body types. We're all so different. We all respond differently from the outside to the inside. We've all been made intentionally. We're not mistakes. We're not afterthoughts. We're not just extra stuff he's thrown around. He made us intentionally and intricately. And I think it's important not just physically, but your personality was intentional. I think some of us, it's great that you are the life of the party and that you love hanging out with people and you just want to go all the time. And some of us, you're like, no, thank you. I will stay home and put my pajamas on and watch my TV show because that's who you are. It's intentional. We're all different. We all have what we contribute to each other. And I want to say even that your weaknesses are intentional because your weaknesses are the platform that the Lord can demonstrate his strength in your life. The areas that I'm weak, the Lord gets to show how strong he is. And so they're great. And it's great that we all have our own weaknesses. We all have our own things that we struggle with that the Lord can show up and demonstrate and say, hey, this is the Lord because Valerie didn't do it. She struggled with that when she tried it by herself. So we're all intentional. But the enemy doesn't want you to know that. Or you can know it, but he doesn't want you to believe it. And this is why I said to some degree, it doesn't matter what you think about yourself because this is, this is the deal. You will either live up to or you will live down to what you believe is true about yourself. You've got to know who you are. It's Romans eleven twenty nine. It says, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. What does that tell us? It tells us that the Lord made us and he called us, and he identified us and he gifted us and he is not changing his mind about it. He gave it to you. Whether you walk in it, whether you live up to it, whether you are faithful to him, he has identified you and he has gifted you and he has given you this ability that only you can do for the kingdom when you're set on fire for him and he's not gonna change his mind and he's not gonna take it just because you don't wanna take it. It's yours. They're irrevocable. So I want you also to notice that when the Lord called Gideon a warrior, he didn't just call him a warrior, but he called him a mighty warrior. Because just as important as what you've been called to do is how you've been called to do it. We've been called to do it with excellence, to do everything that is given at our hands, to do it to the best of our ability with excellence as unto the Lord. And so he calls him a mighty warrior. And maybe you don't identify with mighty and warrior, but maybe you can hear, the Lord is with you, you patient caretaker of young. Or the Lord is with you, you fearless leader of the family. Or the Lord is with you, you faithful worshiper. 
but you have been called to be and to do something. You've been called and you've been told how to do it. But of course we see when you continue on through the story in verse 13, Gideon has these doubts of the Lord and he questions him. And he's like, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And he talks about these miracles of his ancestors and then he even accuses the Lord of forsaking them. And I, you gotta pause because it's like, hold up. So just before we get to chapter six, we hear that there are 40 years of peace. So Deborah has left the scene and there's 40 years of peace. And then when we start chapter six and the Lord hands the Israelites over, they had control for seven years. Now, I believe that Gideon was more than seven years old. And, but he's talking about all these, all these miracles of his ancestors as if they were so many years ago, as if they were decades ago. It hasn't been that long. But Gideon has forgotten. He's forgotten what it was like when you're trusting and you're walking in what the Lord has for you to do. God stays the same. But Gideon and the people, they've forgotten. They have been moved by their emotions, by what they have pursued after. And it takes me back to the verse in Jeremiah 17. If we could be, like it says, like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and it doesn't fear when heat comes, but its leaves are green, and it's not anxious in the year of drought, but if we could never cease to yielding fruit, if we could be those people that when things come and go, we're planted, and we're firm in the solid rock, we're firm in Jesus Christ, so that we don't doubt him, we don't accuse him of leaving us, because we know who he is. And then you continue on, and God almost like doesn't really recognize what Gideon says. He just tells him, go in your own strength to do what he's called him to do. And it's important to know that God's not worried about what we think we have or what we think we don't have because he is the one who provides for us and he is not lacking. He says, go in your own strength. And Gideon, like a lot of us, he wants a sign. Anyone ever asked for a sign? Because I feel like I remember being a teen and I like, I just wanted someone to sharpie it on my forehead or like stick a post-it note on me, or I wanted like a flashing billboard as I drove. I wanted a sign. I wanted to know that this was the Lord. And he was going to do what he said he was going to do. And so Gideon's like, hold up. Like, if you're real, and if this is happening, like, just give me, give me a sign. So he goes and he makes this offering. And then the angel of the Lord puts out his, the end of the staff, and fire rises up and consumes it. And so Gideon gets a little scared, and he's like, oh, this is the Lord. Like, he, he could take me out. And the Lord's like, I've got you. We're good. But then the Lord tells Gideon to make an altar to the Lord and to destroy the altar to Baal. And so Gideon, he is obedient. I find it interesting that Gideon says, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it at night because people are not going to be happy about this. And he doesn't want people to see it. But of course, what happens in the dark comes to light and people see that the altar is destroyed. But nonetheless, Gideon's obedient. And then Gideon asks for another sign. And this is the story that many of us might be more familiar with, the story of the fleece. He lays out fleece, and he's like, Lord, if, if you are who you say you are and you know what you're talking about, let's put this fleece out and let the fleece be wet and the ground be dry. And then it happens. And then he's like, okay. So, like, please don't be angry, but can we do it again? But this time I want the fleece to be dry and the ground to be wet. And so the Lord does it. So Gideon knows that God is God. And he is good, and he knows what he's talking about. So the Lord calls Gideon to deliver Israel from the Midianites. And so he starts with 32,000 men. And then the Lord's like, that's too many. 
And I don't know about you, but I don't think I've ever thought about going into a battle and being like, I have too many people. We only need like 500 of you guys to win so the rest of you guys can go home. No, I want as many people as possible. But when you get to chapter 7, verse 2, and it says, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Notice that the Lord didn't say that the witnesses were going to say that Israel saved themselves. He said, lest Israel claim victory for themselves. Because the Lord knows us, and he knows that we can be proudful sometimes. We can be proud, and we can take credit for things that he has done. And so God will put us in situations to depend on him. Because it's not about us, it's about him, and it's about his glory. And so he's like, there's too many people. So he says, anyone who's afraid, leave. And 22,000 left. So then he's got 10,000. He's like, okay, we can do this. And and God's like, that's still too many. Okay. So then the Lord tells him, only take those by the stream who drink from their hands, not those who lap like dogs with their mouth. And of that, we have 300 men left. So where we find Gideon and his 300 men. And so then verse 9, it says, It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, and your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. And I love that because God knows Gideon, just like he knows us. He gave him some options. He's like, go down. Like, you've already got this. I've already given it to you. You've already won. But if you're scared... Go down anyway with your friend, and you'll be encouraged to do so. So, of course, Gideon, he goes down with with his friend because he was scared. And I think it's important to know that we all have doubts, and we all have fears, and we have things in our life that we, maybe we don't want to confess, but maybe you have something in your heart. Maybe you've had this desire for a while, and you're not seeing it come. You're not seeing anything take place that lets you know, hey, you're going to have this. Maybe the Lord has told you that you will get this one day, that this is going to be yours, that he had these great plans, and you're not seeing it. We all have that doubt, that fear a little bit that we're not going to get it, that we're not going to see it. And it's important to give it to the Lord because he can handle our emotions. He can handle what we're worried about, what we're stressed about. And we can let him do with us like he did with Gideon and assure us that he is faithful and he is true. And so Gideon goes to the camp with his friend, and when he's there, he hears a dream. In verse 13, it says, When Gideon came, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. And he said, I've had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it, so it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon and the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. I don't know about you, but I don't, currently don't think the Lord blessed me with the ability to interpret dreams because I don't think I would have heard someone tell me that like a loaf of bread came and destroyed my camp. And I don't know if I would have been like, yes, it is no one but Gideon and the Lord and they've conquered us. Like, I don't think I would have gotten that. But Regardless, Gideon's there, and that's what he hears. And it's amazing that Gideon shows up just in time to hear this one person tell his friend this dream. And it wasn't like he showed up to like Michael. He's like, hey, did you hear that Matthew told Aaron who told so-and-so who told so-and-so he had this dream? He showed up just in time to hear this friend tell this dream, to hear the actual account. And it tells us that God is great with his timing. He is so great at orchestrating with his providence. 
And so Gideon's encouraged, and he's obedient to the Lord, and they go down, and they conquer. And the Lord is worthy of our obedience, no matter how crazy it might be that he's asking us to do. And I think if you talk about crazy, the battle plan that Gideon has to defeat the Midianites, they show up in the middle of the night, and it's like Gideon and a hundred, and a hundred, and a hundred, and they've got these trumpets in their right hand and these torches in their left. And at the same time, they're just going to blow it, and they're going to say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And that was it. That was the plan. And it worked. That's what's so amazing. Like, I've never been in a battle where you just do that. Like, maybe, like, when we played volleyball, like, our strategy, not volleyball, dodgeball, like, our strategy was, like, okay, when they say go, we're going to scream and be super crazy and scare the other team so we can grab the ball. So that was, like, most of it was. But you still had to fight. You still had to, like, throw the ball and try to knock people out. But they just showed up, and they're like, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And so all these people in the camp, the Midianites, they look, and they see all of these lights. They've heard this sound. They've heard these people screaming and they see all these lights and they're afraid. And then guess what? They killed themselves. They started killing each other and running away. And so the Israelites won. That is such a great battle. That is such a great war. You don't have to fight. I think it's important to note when God first called Gideon, he was hiding. He was called out of this hiding place. He was called out of the sphere. And the first thing that he has him do is break the idols that the other Israelites had set up. I think it's important because we have family members and friends and loved ones that are depending on us to get out of hiding and to get out of fear and to be who the Lord has called us to do. We have people in our life that have sins, that have issues, that have generational curses that could be broken if we could get a handle on who we are and walk in the obedience of the Lord of what he's called us to do. This battle with 300 men, I think it is an amazing picture of spiritual warfare because they didn't even have to fight. For seven years, this nation was in trouble, and then suddenly it wasn't. Like overnight, it wasn't. And they held this trumpet, and they held this fire, and it made the enemy fight each other. It made them destroy each other. That's a nation-saving fire. And we have it, too. We've got Jesus on the inside of us. It's, it's his name that the sick are healed, the dead are raised, that demons have to flee. We have that fire. It's right inside of us. We just have to walk with the authority and the power that he's given to us. And I don't know about you, but I would like to carry fire that makes the enemy destroy himself. Well, I don't have to do a lot. I can just walk. I can know who I am, and I can do what the Lord's called me to do and go where he's called me to do. And there's a fire burning inside of me that if there's the enemy trying to attack, it will get so scared that he will start to destroy himself. I want that. I want us all walking in the calling that the Lord has given us with faith and with authority because if we could get it, it wouldn't just change us, but it would change those around us who the Lord has given in our lives. God, you're good. God, we thank you for everything that you have spoken over us. Lord, we thank you for creating us, for saving us, for identifying us and calling us, giving us every good gift, every good thing that you've given from above. God, we thank you that we are your people, that we have full access to you, that we can come to you morning, afternoon, night. We can come to you every single second of the day, God, and you're there and you're faithful and you're right there and you're giving us what we need to be your people, to do what you've called us to do and to go where you've called us to go. 
God, we thank you that you are equipping us, you are encouraging us, God, and that you love us with this unfilling love, that you are actively pursuing us when we mess up, when we become just like those of Israel, when we take these repetitive cycles and we've pursued other things. We thank you, God, that we know you're dependable and you're faithful and that we can call on you and you will do what you've said you'll do and you'll deliver us, God. God, we pray that as we go forward, God, let us be changed. Let us be yours completely, pursuing you and loving you with all we are. God, let us be your people, God. Let us be sold out after you, God. Let us know who we are and walk in that with full authority, Lord. Let us carry the fire, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the fire of Jesus Christ in us, Lord, so that when we walk in every situation, God, the enemy would start destroying himself, God, because we're walking in this boldness and this authority that only you can give us, Lord. God, I pray that you would bless each and every person here, Lord, that you would have your way, God, that you would just anoint their steps, God. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. We are so happy that you joined us today. If you are interested in learning about or giving to this ministry, you can find more information at saponaroadchurch.com. If you are local to the Fayetteville, North Carolina area, our meeting times are 1045 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7 o'clock p.m. Wednesdays for our connect groups. From all of us here at Sapona Road Church, we hope that you have a great day as you walk in the Lord's favor and blessing.